from St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. The squirrel wants to believe, but the squirrel maybe oh. seems to just very easily lose faith. Yes, and it's back and forth. One page, he's totally pious, he gets it all, or he's he's waffling back and forth. And I, I just think any any person who is of faith understands that doubt goes hand in hand with real faith. And you just can't be afraid of that. Um, you, you can't be shy about it. It is, it is really, you're not having a genuine faith experience if you're not just in in doubt and wonder and one day convinced the next day you know clinging to to Christ or um, it's it's part of what you do as a as a believer I'm Sarah Fenske In Christianity's greatest hits, the father and the son get the celebrity. One sacrifices his only offspring for the good of the world. The other takes on all the sins of humanity and suffers a terrible death, only to rise again in glory. But what about the third part of the Trinity? It's high time the Holy Spirit got its due. And the new graphic novel from the best-selling St. Louis-based author and illustrator John Hendricks aims to do just that. It's called The Holy Ghost, and it's out this week. And joining us now to tell about it, tell us about it is John Hendricks. John, welcome. Hi, thank you. Glad to be here. So, John, this is such a simple idea, and yet it's incredibly complex. Where did you get the idea to do a book on the Holy Spirit? Well, so I I am a chronic doodler. I draw all the time, and one of the places I draw is in church. Um, and a former pastor of mine, uh, the late and dear Kurt Lutchens, was preaching a sermon about the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, and I realized as I was drawing, I just didn't have a lot of visual language for what that was. It's it is the most mysterious part of the Trinity. Even, yeah. You know, even in Scripture, it's uh, it's a mystery to some degree. Um, and so I drew this little blue ghost uh, floating above the congregation, and it just made me laugh. And uh, I was like, this guy could get into some adventures. And so it, it kind of came about as, uh, what would the Holy Ghost do with his uh, days off? Uh, you know, would, would he hang out with a squirrel and a badger? Yeah, probably. <laughs> No, it's, it's a concept there. So when you first sketched out this guy, um, did he look like this, as you mentioned, a blue ghost now on the cover of this book? You got this like on the first take while doodling? Uh, you know, he was he looked a little different. But yeah, the, the, the idea of, um, you know, the actual language, we say Holy Spirit now. Usually yeah. ghost is now kind of an antiquated term, although it survives in the doxology. And I want that it, it sounds much better in the doxology that way. Yeah. But yes, I thought, well, why don't we just personify him as a classic uh, uh, comic, uh, cartoony ghost, and uh, that gave a lot of um, accessibility visually to yeah. what what that could really mean. I mean, scripturally, the Holy Ghost is the spirit of Christ on earth, and so embodying him as a blue ghost, I, you know, that's kind of a little dangerous, but it, man, it made me laugh. Uh, yeah, so I, I mean, went with it. You're kind of reclaiming the way that we used to think about him as, as kids or maybe back a hundred years ago versus a spirit. He's now, he's a friendly little ghost. And, and visual language is really important and visual metaphor. And I think the church in general, uh, especially the modern church 
is uncomfortable with lots of visual things. We're just not used to seeing weird things associated mm-hmm. with church visuals. You know, if you think, what, you know, what is Christian art? That's usually not a good association, even though yeah. uh, the Sistine Chapel is a pretty good piece of Christian art. Um, so, yeah, I, I like the idea of putting some sort of visual language onto something that's abstract. So you mentioned that when you were doing this doodle, um, the minister who inspired this, he's since passed away. Some time has passed yes. since this initial doodle. How much time are we talking? So this is a 10-year project. I, I did that uh, almost 10 years ago now, and they they were really this, – this was not a book I planned to make. This was really a spiritual journal. There's just things I were doing for myself. I would occasionally post them on Tumblr to get if – you know, some laughs from people, or they would occasionally make the rounds. Uh, someone would send it to, to friends, and I, I enjoyed people seeing them. Yeah. Um, but the idea that it was a collection that would be out in the world it is it is almost a little horrifying. It's like someone reading your your journal in a way. And yet, it is now a collection out it in the is. world. And, <laughs> yeah. and it does feel so. Obviously, very I didn't have personal. too much of a problem yeah. with it, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. When did you decide to take this plunge? Like, you had enough of a body of work that you realized this is a book. Yeah, I had enough where. Uh, um, I, I put out a little small edition of them, and they, they sold out immediately. And I thought, well, maybe there is an audience for this. Maybe there is something there. Um, do, do you think Christians are hungry for a better understanding of the Holy Spirit? Or is it more just the winsomeness of, of these illustrations? You know, it's it's probably less that we need more books about the Holy Spirit. I think it's, as with any art, it's seeing something you know um, through the eyes of of something you don't recognize, right? Yeah. And that's what all art is. It's just a way to see something new. Um, and so I don't necessarily think that this is a, a definitive vision uh, theologically. It's it's much more personal than that. Uh, and so I hope people can read it as uh, almost those questions that you remember having um, years ago that you kind of forgot you were thinking about mm-hmm. uh, rather than some sort of theological tract. I could certainly see that, and I enjoyed reading it in just that way. Uh, but I also found myself thinking there seems to be some some deep underpinning of this. You're not just playing with the, these ideas. You're really getting in the mud and, and wrestling with them. Did you feel like you had to do some research, had to consult some theologians you wanted to get the Holy Spirit slash ghost? Correct. <laughs> yeah. Well, the danger of a book like this is that it will tell people that it is meant to be some sort of missional tract to, mm-hmm. to convert people. It doesn't or, read that way. Right, well, I'm glad. Yeah. Uh, or that it's a kind of takedown or, or a, um, an angry critique of, of dogma. Yeah, which it um, also doesn't read that way. <laughs> well, so, okay, well, that's good. I'm glad. I, it's, it's really meant to be, I, I think when people have a genuine encounter with God, it is personal and it is about big questions about what things mean. Why do we do anything in life? Why is there beauty? Why do we make stuff at all? Uh, And and rarely are they issues of, um, you know, culture war issues or dogma or questions that are much more the stuff that that people tend to associate with, quote unquote, religion. Mm -hmm. So you credit um, in your afterword to this book, you credit both Bill Watterson of Calvin and Hobbes and then Charles M. Schultz of, of Peanuts. Here's a quote from this. Schultz gave to the world a daily gift of characters that were able to wrestle with both melancholy and hope all in three or four panels at a time. That felt to me like a perfect description, not just of Peanuts, but also of this book. 
were you sort of consciously mimicking some of the ways Schultz was able to do that, sort of the rhythms of that strip? Oh, uh, 100%. I, I mean, I'm in such debt to them, uh, Watterson. When when uh, Calvin and Hobbes would be in the wheelbarrow or the, or the wagon and would go down the hill together and just talk about these abstract concepts in the context of comics, again, I think art is translation. And yeah. man, that stuff, even as a 12-year-old, translated big ideas to 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 my heart and and so yeah in many ways i'm i'm working in their their shadow a, a very small uh version of what they really did in their work so those guys were working decades ago um are modern cartoonists people working in that funny pages space that, that many of these seem like they'd be very home in the funny pages <laughs> yeah. are they missing the acknowledgement of the divine that, that inspired so much of those two men yeah i mean if, if you think about who is touching that material i mean kind of family circus is almost like it's a parody of that sort of stuff in yeah. a way um a lot of these, I didn't want them to feel like they could end up in a church bulletin either, you know, sort of like in inside jokes for church people, you know, making jokes about hymns or so. I mean, there's a few of those, you know, the Pentecost joke goes over people's heads if you don't know what that is. But uh, and in some ways, I, I want them to be accessible to people who have no experience with the church. And that's that's always been the audience for all of my books, really. Yeah. I feel like you have some fun poking at pieties. I'm going to read a joke. This is one <laughs> no of the boy. rare jokes that I feel like this translates even without the visuals. Most of these, I think you'd really have to see just this charming ghost to appreciate him. But, <laughs> you know, there's, a, uh, there's basically two supporting characters in these comics. There's a squirrel and there's a badger. And the squirrel is constantly voicing the dumb things that all of us voice. And and then the Holy Ghost comes in and then sort of gently maybe uh, illuminates things for him. <laughs> yeah. So the squirrel says, I'm surprised you like Halloween. And the ghost says, what's not to like? Neighbors being kind to children, communities getting to know each other by giving away gifts to total strangers. And the squirrel says, oh, well, I just assumed that was you-know-who's big day. And ghost replies, who's Satan? Nah, he hates Halloween. He does his best work during Christmas. <laughs> Now, I thought about my parents, who I think would otherwise really enjoy this book, and I would think, like, wow, they might be a little offended by that. That's you right. Know, Halloween is the devil's day. <laughs> <laughs> Are you on purpose maybe trying to alienate some of the people who might otherwise be your bedfellows here? Yeah. Well, I hope I'm not alienating them. I'm hoping I'm getting them to see things through a different lens. That's yeah. all. You know, and, and the parody, the sort of um, cultural baggage we all carry about what it means to be religious or Christian in a particular moment time and space, we're all stuck in that. And so, you know, I think that's why we read old books. That's why we read theology from 800 years ago, and it still has resonance, because the errors we're making today are different than the errors they were making 800, 1,000 years ago. Um, and so, not, <laughs> not that my book's going to be read in 1,000 years, but I, I would hope that people could read them and... Um, you know, have a laugh at the very least yeah. uh, and maybe re-examine some of their assumptions. And so you have your squirrel and your badger. They're both so charming. Not quite as charming as the ghost, who's a very charming figure. I totally agree. Did you have the squirrel and badger in mind as, as representing different <laughs> things or are they just kind of useful in whatever scene they're in? Well, the squirrel is definitely, I mean, they're all me to some degree, but the squirrel is definitely more me or a self-portrait in in most of the comics. Um, and then the badger evolved as kind of, he needed a foil that was like a religious, uh, someone who's very pious, knows they have all the right answers. Um, I just did an interview about the book and uh, someone suggested, oh, the badger represents the priesthood because he's in the black and white. And I was oh. like, oh, that's a great idea. <laughs> I wish I had come up with that. Uh, I'm glad that went over your head because that also went over good. my head. Well, yeah, yeah well, I'm just going to keep saying it from now on. 
but obviously the badger badgers the, the squirrel throughout this. So there's a wordplay there, but that's yeah. as far as I went. And the squirrel, the squirrel is you. Because the squirrel, the squirrel wants to believe, but the squirrel maybe oh. seems to just very easily lose faith. Yes, and it's back and forth. One page, he's totally pious. He gets it all, or he's he's waffling back and forth. And I, I just think any any person who is of faith understands that doubt goes hand in hand with real faith, and you just can't be afraid of that. Um, you you can't be shy about it. It is it is really you're not having a genuine faith experience if you're not. Just in in doubt and wonder, and one day convinced, the next day, you know, clinging to to Christ, or um, it's it's part of what you do as a as a believer. You've gotten to a point where you can just accept that 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 you're going to be having that journey, that back and forth. Did it mm-hmm. take you a while to get there? Where you were, you felt certain those doubts weren't going to drive you from your faith. Yeah, and I think when you're younger, you you think that the mark of a real faith is certainty. And you know, certainly when I was younger in college and new to my to my faith, I really wanted to to display that I had the answers, mm-hmm. and that that meant that I was a a good believer. Uh, but of course, the older you get, you realize that that's really not the case. We're talking today to John Hendricks. His new book is called The Holy Ghost. It's a graphic novel about everybody's, well, least acknowledged member of the Trinity. Um, Sort of brings us the Holy Spirit in the form of a a charming blue ghost. (laughs) It's just really a, it's really a charming book. I just enjoyed reading this. I feel like it's a book where you could read, uh, read the whole thing sort of straight through, or you could just pick it up, read a random page, have a laugh, go back to it. I'm not going to stop till we have a holiday special animated series uh, that they Use every Pentecost on the Holy Ghost. So that's it's my. <laughs> Do you feel like this could be a possibility? I mean, you're working in a deeply religious theme here. Do you feel like it, there's maybe not opportunities for this the way there was back when Charles M. Schultz was able to do the Peanuts Christmas that we all watch year after year after year? I, it is an interesting. I mean, I, surely I think when I write this, but this is not for everyone, yeah. right? Uh, and yet you look back at those. Um, you know, the Charlie Brown Christmas special, and it endures still, and it's a extremely Christian content. At one point, you know, Linus just tells the story of the nativity completely, right out of the Gospel of John. Yeah. So, uh, who knows? I, I, that certainly were not my aspirations. I mean, I, I really am terrible at thinking about projects in terms of what they could do someday. I just, I'm interested in what I'm interested in, and and this was a sketchbook drawing that just really had a life of its own. I couldn't stop doing them. In fact, there were times when I had real deadlines, and I'd be like, oh, i got to do this comic because it's, it's got to be done for whatever reason. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned these real deadlines. You have a lot going on. You have written a <laughs> number of books. I, I imagine in the interim, as you continued to sort of doodle these, this was not your only project at any point. Right. Um, and you are also a professor at the Sam Fox School of Design and Visual Arts at, at Wash U. You chair the MFA uh, illustration and visual culture. Uh, That's a whole lot there. Tell us just a little bit about your career. You grew up in St. Louis. Did you know you wanted to be an artist when you grew up? I I do not remember a time before drawing. Uh, Mm -hmm. So yeah, I've been drawing as long as I remember, but I didn't know that that had a career attached to it. I just kind of thought the kids' books I love, people did those as kind of hobbies or something. Um, So yes, I, I grew up here. I went to school at the University of Kansas and then New York City for four years. I got my grad, um... MFA in, in New York City and uh, got a huge break and worked at the New York Times for four years as an art director. And it was there I really learned the industry, learned how to make pictures that communicate. 
And, you know, that led to a life in, in academia where now I'm teaching and, and running this grad program full of just incredible students who want to do this same kind of work. You seem to have so many interesting ideas for books, though. Like your books just there's a wide variety in the different things that you've managed to do graphic novels I'm gl- about. I'm glad you think that. I think <laughs> yeah. my, my agent may think that I'm a little all over the place. But, uh, yeah, I, yeah. D- I do. I have very di- – I mean, this is a book of um, – Comics, I don't really consider myself a cartoonist, believe it or not. I, yeah. I think of myself as an illustrator, and I've written graphic uh, nonfiction for young people, really. It's the bulk of my work. Yeah, these have been more like biographies right. of, of people mm-hmm. versus more of like a classic comic strip. That's right. Um, so with all these different things, you know, ping-ponging around <laughs> in your head, do you ever <laughs> resent the demands of teaching and, you know, all the time that that, that job, I'm sure, is a full-time job in and of itself? Uh, you would think that would be the case, but I I genuinely love teaching. I love being with uh, young artists that are interested in this stuff. I mean, it's invigorating. I think it makes my work better. It makes me actually leave the studio. I mean, I'm much better if I have somewhere to be. I mean, if it just endless time in the studio, I just I just wander around uh, and. The, you the need idea. those restrictions almost. Yeah, I, I just thrive with lots of things going on, and um, teaching has, has been a real, an unexpected and real blessing in my life. I, I did not come out of grad school thinking, I'm going to go into the academy and be a professor someday. Uh, but I, I got a chance to teach at Parsons um, through a, a mentor of mine, and I, 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 day one, I, I loved it. So you have all these different projects, and I think the one unifying theme, maybe not for all of them, but so many of them seem to come back to your faith. Mm-hmm. Um, have you ever done anything that's consciously like, I'm going to do something that does not deal with faith at all? This is not a Christian book. I, I mean, really, the, the whole ten, first 10 years of my career had nothing to do with that, and mm-hmm. I, I could not keep this content out. I mean, this is what I tell my students all the time. You just can't you can't um, do an end around on the stuff that you're passionate about. You know, you just if you try to find what the market wants, if you try to make books you think other people will like, it's just never going to work out. And so at the end of the day, this was the stuff that I continued to think about, wanted to make images about. And, um, you know, they they have they have done well enough that I get to keep making them. So, I mean, that's a real that's a real that's a hard thing to make stuff that you're excited about and for people to want to buy it. And you mentioned that this was something that, that didn't come to you until college, this this personal faith that you have, uh, the source of all this material now. <laughs> well, <laughs> I'm sure this I, is a huge question, but, you know. <laughs> I grew I grew up in a, in the church, um, but, you know, in, in late high school was when I started, I read C.S. Lewis, and I really be able to, I was able to grapple with a faith that was intellectual, that was curious, that was um, interested in the arts, in storytelling. Um, I read Dietrich Bonhoeffer in college and, um, and Tolkien. And I mean, all the, all the people that now are these foundational thinkers of the faith that I look back to, uh, Annie Dillard or Dorothy Sayers or uh, any of those folks, that gave me that foundation of like, oh, I can be, I can be a person of faith and be interested in art making to be, uh, be an intellectual and be someone who cares about what uh, we say through the through the lens of, of a rich and real faith. Hmm. And you feel like that hasn't held you back? I, well, I don't know. I, see, I think I'm doing okay. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. You tell me. I, I think it's, it's there are some projects where I'm like, you know, I wish this had a bigger audience. I, I wish more people could find this book. Um, but at, again, at the end of the day, is, is that the... It, 
at the cost of making a book that I'm really passionate about. Like, I don't want to make a, a pirate or princess book. I mean, nothing, there's nothing wrong with that. But sure. I would not I would not want to do that book. Yeah. So the idea of an audience at the expense of something that I really want to make a book about is, uh, is not worth it to me. So speaking of things you really want to make a book about, you mentioned both Tolkien and C.S. Lewis. In, in our <laughs> final minute here, you're actually working on a book about their friendship. That's right. My, my next project is a, a massive graphic novel about... Uh, most people know they were in a group called the Inklings, which is a reading group in Oxford, and that they were friends. But I mean, very few people know the the depth of their friendship. That it was really Lewis's. Uh, the reason we have the Lord of the Rings was from C.S. Lewis's encouragement. Tolkien would never have finished it without Lewis, mm-hmm. and Lewis would never become a Christian without Tolkien. Um, so not only that, but they sort of accidentally reinvented fantasy in the middle of the uh, 20th century. So it's it's really a stunning. Uh, this one little friendship had all these ripples throughout the 20th century of both faith and, and fantasy work. and So it's a story of their friendship and also a kind of brief history of fairy tales and how we get myths. This feels like one that might have a bigger audience. Yeah. You, you feel like there's more people <laughs> into people like Tolkien Lord of the Rings. Yeah, yeah, than right. the Holy Ghost. <laughs> well, I'm excited to hear more about this. We're going to have to have you come back. So. Oh, I'll be here. Well, John Hendricks, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Today's episode was produced by Sarah Fenske with audio engineering and podcast design by Aaron Dorr. Our executive producer is Alex Hoyer. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thanks. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association. Missouri produces wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details on the variety of products made in the state are at ChooseWood.com.